0: Good morning. Uh, my name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here. And uh, if you're a guest or a visitor, I promise uh, the, the dress code is not khakis and a green shirt. Um, it's just me and Tobias. we just a couple of dorks who uh, didn't talk beforehand. But, um, uh, but we're glad that you're here, uh, even if you, you didn't get the memo. Um, we are uh, in the book of 1 Peter uh, we started a series last week looking at this book. Um, First Peter is uh, near the back of your New Testament, so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. 1 um, Peter, uh, Peter is written by the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, and he's writing to the church in Asia Minor. Uh, these churches, they're experiencing trial and persecution, these people who are living as exiles. But if you were here with us last week, you remember that that's not just their story, that's our story. Uh, we, too, are people who are uh, exilic. We are living in exile. This world is not our home. And so we heard last week that as we live in exile, as we live in this foreign land, that we are to be a people of hope, that we are to live with hope. And this morning, what we're going to see that is that as we live with hope, as we live as exiles, that we're also to live in a state of constant readiness, that we are to be Ready? So let's go ahead and read 1 Peter 1, we'll read uh, verses 10 through 13. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Our God, our King, we do ask that the word that has been prophesied and the word that has been proclaimed and the word that we have heard would be the word that would penetrate our hearts this morning, that you would open our eyes and you would unplug our ears, that you would soften our hearts to the beauty of your gospel so that we would know what it is to follow you and to live as your people. Help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This summer, uh, I had the privilege, it really was a privilege, of helping Coach Cole's Little League baseball team Um, It was a lot of fun for me to be able to work with these little boys and and this one girl on Cole's team I I got to to watch them progress over this the course of the summer Little League Baseball, you know, these are kids that some of them at the beginning of the summer They they don't know how to catch (laughs) And some of them don't know how to throw and we have to remind them like what base to run to when they hit the ball Um, it's, It's really fun to watch as they progress over the course of the summer as they develop and And you know when you show up to the park, these are the things that you're going to see. Um, There are other things that you see at a Little League baseball game as well, things that you've seen. You show up and there's that stereotypical left fielder who when the ball's being pitched, she's sitting in the grass picking dandelions. You've, you've seen that kid. Um, there's the center fielder who when the ball is hit to them and rolls past them, they completely ignore it because they're distracted by the butterflies flying around their head. And, and our, my personal favorite is the second baseman who when the ball is entering the hitting zone is chewing on his glove, not paying attention to what might be coming his way. You've seen these kids doing this, and, and let me just say from the outset, because I'll, I'll hear about at home if I don't say this, that, that that's not Cole, okay? <laughs> Cole isn't that kid. Little man is like totally in the zone when we're playing ball. But, um, but there are other kids like that who are distracted, who are not ready. And so if if you go to the game and you see these kids playing this this way. They're distracted. They're not paying attention. They're playing in the dirt. You've probably also heard calls from the dugout. If you came to see play, you heard my voice yelling out to those kids, get up. Take the glove out of your mouth. Get ready. You need to get into ready position. Ready position. We're saying this all the time. Ready position. Ready position. Ready position. Ready position is that. It's feet are a little bit spread apart, your knees are flexed, you're on the balls of your feet, you've got your glove not in your mouth, but it's extended a little bit in front of you, and you are ready because you don't know when that ball's going to get hit. And you don't know if it's going to be hit to you. And even if it's not hit to you, you have to be ready to move because there's a fielder you have to back up or a base that you have to cover. You have to be ready, ready position. We have to say it again and again and again, because by nature, these kids, they're not ready. They're distracted, and they're confused, and they're looking around. Ready position. Well, Friends, that's true not just of low leaguers playing baseball. It's true of us as Christians in our faith. We have to be ready. We have to be ready. That's what Peter calls us to in verse 13. He says, preparing your minds for action. Preparing your minds for action. This phrase in the Greek literally means gird up the loins of your mind. (laughs) That's an interesting phrase. If I yelled to the second baseman, gird up your loins. (laughs) I don't think he would take his glove out of his mouth, right? He wouldn't know what I'm talking about. And maybe we don't know what he's talking about either. Gird up your loins. Well, it's invoking this image of, of men in this day. They would have worn long robes. Okay, long robes, and, and robes, I've, I've, I wear a robe from time to time, a, a pastoral robe, and, and I will tell you that robes aren't very conducive for moving quickly, right? Women, as you wear dresses and skirts, right? Like, you don't want to go on a sprint in your dress, right? Because your feet get tangled up, and it's easy to fall over. And, and so these men, as they were wearing these long robes, they would have to gird them up. So they would take them, and they would roll them up and stick them in their belt so that they were ready to move, that they can move quickly. Their legs would be unencumbered. This is actually the same phrase that God uses for Israel as they're coming out of Egypt. You remember the night before the Exodus, God says to Egypt or to Israel, I'm going to give you the Passover meal. And as you eat the Passover, you are to eat it girded for travel. You are to be ready to move, ready to act. You don't know when it's going to come, but I'm going to call you to move. So we have to be ready. That's what God was telling Israel. That's what Peter's telling us. We need to be ready. We need to be prepared. But why? Why are we needing to be ready? Why is Peter telling us to gird up the loins of our minds? That's the first question I want us to ask, why? Well, Peter begins in verse 13, he begins with that word therefore. Now, you know the old adage whenever you see a therefore, you're supposed to ask, what is it therefore? <laughs> and so when we see what is therefore, it causes us to look at the preceding verses. And Peter's giving us the motivation for why we are to be ready. In verse 10, he says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully concerning this salvation now Peter is he's picking up on what he's already talked about in the first nine verses what we looked at last week right he said to us that that you have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus that you have gone from death into life concerning this salvation Peter is now expanding on that and he's giving us information more detail about our salvation and what he tells us is that the plan of salvation is an ancient plan He invokes the prophets, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully. See, what Peter's saying is that the salvation that is ours, that long before Peter ever wrote these words, and long before they were ever read by his first hearers, and long before we ever heard them, they were being spoken of by the prophets, this grace that would be ours. This salvation that would come. It it was a plan that that had uh, begun long before we ever existed. He's saying it's an ancient plan. That the prophets spoke by the very Spirit of Christ. That's what verse 11 says. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. The Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, was equipping the prophets... He was providing them with the very word of God to proclaim to their hearers. And this is the word that we have received. See, Edmund Clowney, the, the great theologian, he once said that Peter is eager to point out to his hearers that they are heirs of the full message of the prophets. That that's what we are. We are heirs of this message that has been proclaimed by by those guys like Jeremiah and Isaiah and Malachi and Hosea. Like those portions of our Bibles that we read and it's like, I I don't understand. (laughs) We are heirs of that message. That that is the proclamation of the salvation to come. And what's amazing about this is what we read in verse 12. That it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you. That they were serving us in giving this word. That they were serving Peter's hearers. That, that what they were announcing to us and to them was the very thing that we have heard. That's what verse 12 continues on. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit. ...sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The good news that has been proclaimed. That salvation has come. Friends, that's why we are to be ready. Because we have received that message. We have heard that salvation has come. That's why. That's why we are to do this. And at the center of this salvation... We're told it's the Spirit of Christ declaring the sufferings of Christ and his subsequent glories. You see, at the center of our salvation is Jesus. So what this is indicating to us is that that at the center, at the heart of the message of Scripture, is a man. That that the message of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Malachi, that the message of the, the law and the Psalms, that the message of the New Testament, of the Gospels and the Epistles, is at the center of that message is a man, Christ. He is the Messiah that they were waiting for, and he is the Messiah that we have received. You see, see, we believe that the entirety of Scripture points to this one person. It is the story of God redeeming his people, From beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation is telling this single story. Or as the Jesus Storybook Bible puts it, every story whispers his name. That Christ is at the center. He is the center of our salvation. So, so, So we have to reject the Marcionite heresy of the second century that pits the Old Testament against the new. We don't say, well, we're a New Testament people. I remember before I was a Christian, before I was a Christian, uh, I I pulled off the King James Bible from our uh, bookshelf. We had one. I I wasn't in a Christian family, but I pulled it off, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to read it. And I opened it up, and I had no idea there was an Old and New Testament. I had no idea. I was in high school. And so I opened it and I look in the table of contents and it says Old and New Testament. So what did I think? Well, I don't want anything to do with old things. <laughs> so I just ran to the new. But the truth is, is that many of, of us act that way. Well, the Old Testament's old. That's Israel. That's, that's a God of law. That's a God of judgment. Well, no. No, the same God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. That the God of grace that we see in the New Testament is the God of grace in the Old. That there is one story. That there is one salvation. That there is one Lord. The proclamation of the prophets is what we have heard. The Old Testament is pointing forward with prophecy and types and images and symbols pointing to the expectation of the Messiah to come. And what they were inquiring about, this is fascinating, is not just the person or time in which he would come, but but also about the sufferings and the subsequent glories. You see, Jesus is the the center of our salvation because what he has done. That he is not just the Messiah who would come victoriously, but he is the Savior who would suffer. Now that might seem a little odd to us. Like if we we're gonna write a a story of salvation, maybe we wouldn't have had the hero suffering. Maybe you're not a Christian here this morning. Maybe you're here for the first time in church, and, and, and the idea, you know, you're exploring this idea of who Jesus is, and, and you want to understand a little bit more. Or Maybe you were drugged here by a friend, and, and you have no idea what we're talking about. And so the idea that, that we would actually put our faith in a Savior who suffered might seem a little strange to you. It actually seemed a little strange to the disciples. Do you remember as Jesus was approaching the cross, as he was getting nearer his death, near to his death, Peter, hearing that Jesus was going to suffer and die, he said, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. You remember Peter said, You can't, you can't die. You can't suffer, you can't go to the cross. Far be it from you, Lord, because he had no comprehension for a savior that would suffer. He had no understanding for a king who would be crucified, right? He thought that Jesus was going to ride in victoriously and lead them into the kingdom of God. But he didn't realize that the kingdom of God was the way of the cross. And so what did Jesus say? You remember, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. See, Jesus knew what he was going to do. He knew what had to be done. He knew that in order for us to have life, to be taken from darkness into light, that he had to suffer, that he had to go to the cross, that for us not to take the judgment that we deserved, he had to take it upon himself. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus suffered on the cross and took our sins on himself, that we would be saved. But his suffering isn't the end of the story. Peter said subsequent glories. He's not just a suffering savior, but he's an exalted king. Glories like he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He sits in the place of prominence, David's throne at the right hand of the Father, and he will return. And then his returning, every knee shall bow and every tongue declare that he is the Lord. He will come in glory. That suffering is not the end. His death is not the end. That he rose again victorious. He will come in glory. We have a suffering Savior, but an exalted king. Friends, that's why we are ready because of the salvation that he has won for us. Okay, that's the why, but now what about the how? How are we to be ready? Well, Peter tells us preparing your minds for action in verse 13 and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Preparing your minds and being sober-minded. Now, now when Peter invokes that idea of being sober-minded, he's not He's not giving us a theology of alcohol, okay? It's not what he's doing here. Uh, the Bible is very clear. We are not to become drunk, right? That's what, that's what we know from Scripture. We are not to engage in drunkenness. But that's not where Peter's going. He's using this metaphorically. You see, he's telling us that, that we shouldn't act as though we are drunk in our minds. And you know what that's like. You've seen it before, right? Uh, drunkenness clouds the minds, it dulls our thoughts. The inverse is what Peter's calling us to be sober minded, means that, that we see clearly, that we have sharpness of thought, that we are not distracted by those things that are contrary to God's grace and his leading. Peter's wanting us to avoid any form of mental or spiritual intoxication those things that confuse us concerning the realities of Christ, that, that what he's saying is that how we are to be ready is that we are to train our minds. And we are to train our minds. Peter's telling us this because he knows that, that we can become distracted. And we can focus on those things that detract from the Lord because, because the reality is, is that as funny as it is to watch that kid chewing on his glove and playing with the dandelions spiritually that's kind of what we do (laughs) we get distracted all the time we don't take every thought captive i mean just think about just think about when you're idle this past week you're at work maybe this doesn't happen to you I, i bet it does but you're sitting at work and and you know you're you just start thinking about other things other than work you know, and, and your, your computer maybe is set up so you can't go to social media sites while you're at the office, and so you just start daydreaming. You just start thinking about things. Like, where does your mind go in those times of idleness? What do you think about when you're all by yourself at, at the house and no one's around? When you're laying in your bed and you can't fall asleep, what are, what are the things that come to your mind? What are the things that you are thinking about? What are you imagining? What are you dreaming about? And I imagine if we started to list off all those things that we think about, probably many of us wouldn't be very proud of the things that we think about. We're probably very thankful that, uh, that no one knows our thoughts. Because the truth is, is that in our idleness, we start to think about all sorts of things that are not holy and true and right. right? We fill our minds with lustful thoughts about people who are not our spouse. We fill our minds with lustful thoughts about possessions and goods and materials that are not ours. We become drunk with the flesh and the world. We fill our minds with these things that distract. Now at first we might dismiss these things as simply being harmless and not really hurting anyone, but the truth is is that they are dulling us to the truths of Christ. And so, friends, we need to be sober-minded. We need to train our minds, as Paul said. We need to take every thought captive, not just some thoughts, not just big thoughts. We need to take every thought captive. And we do this not, not simply by, by not going to those places of impurity in our minds, right? Like, we don't try and have this, like, neutral stance, Right? Well, I, I just didn't have that lustful thought. I just didn't have that coveting thought. I didn't go there in my mind, and so I'm good. No, no. Taking every thought captive, training our minds is actually doing what Philippians 4 tells us. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. See, this is sober-minded. This is how we prepare our thoughts. This is how we ready our minds, by filling our minds with what is true and honorable and just. So instead of lusting, we fill our minds with beauty and purity. Instead of coveting, we fill our minds with thanksgiving. Instead of filling our minds with those things that we despise about another person, Like, we we have those people in our lives, right? They they might be our friends. They might be our family members. And we have conversations with them, and we walk away from those conversations, and we're filled with frustration. And it starts to build. Maybe it's just me that does this. You know, like, you start to think about them and the things you wish you would have said. And I can't believe they said this. And you just start to ramp it up, and you think about all the things that you don't like about them. And before too long, they're the... You know, they're basically Satan incarnate with horns and a pointed tail and cloven hooves, right? Like we we just keep thinking about how bad they are, how bad they are. But, But maybe taking every thought captive is finding what's commendable about them, of remembering that they are made in the image of God, of thinking God has equipped and gifted them for works of service. And for goodness, taking every thought captive, that's what it means to be ready. That's how we are to be ready, to train our minds. Okay, that's the how. We've talked about the why. We've talked about the how. But what are we ready for? What are we ready for? Well, Peter tells us at the end of verse 13, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What we are ready for is for Jesus to return. The revelation of Jesus Christ. And Peter's just picking up on teaching that he heard from Jesus himself. Do you remember in Luke chapter 12, Jesus is instructing his disciples and he said to them, stay dressed for action. And keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Jesus is saying he's going to return and we don't know when he's going to return. I know we, you know, we're not one of those like chart churches, you know, <laughs> you've seen those charts. Uh, I've gotten them in the mail. Um, not from y'all, thank you. Um, but the outline, you know, well, if we do the math and we carry the four and we use this algorithm, then we'll know when Jesus, no, we, we don't know when he's going to return. And so we must be prepared. We must be ready because he may come back today. That would be wonderful. It might be tomorrow, and that would be good too. And it might be in a week, and it might be in a generation. It might be long, long, long after we have gone. But he is coming. So we are to be ready. We are to be prepared. That we are to set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now look, what what Peter's not saying is that when he says that we are to set our hope on the grace that will be, Hours that will come. He's not saying we don't have grace now. Okay, He's not saying that, that there's grace then, but there's not grace now because we know that there's grace. He's saying that what we experience now, we will experience in full then. That we have some grace. We have the grace and mercy of God now, but we will experience it in full. That we have fellowship with the Father, but we will experience it in full. This is what theologians refer to as the already and not yet. That we have it, but we will have it even more. This is a really hard thing for us to get our minds around kids. This is really hard, I think, sometimes for us to comprehend. So I want you to think about it like this. I know we're not at Christmas yet, but Christmas is coming. And y'all can remember what Christmas is like, right? As soon as Thanksgiving's over, your, your bellies are filled with turkey, and so you're, you know, to work off those extra calories, you start putting up the tree. <laughs> And you start decorating, right kids? This is, this is what we do. We decorate our house. And, and it's not December 25th, that's Christmas Day. But, but in the days leading up to the 25th, we're putting up the tree and we're decorating our house. And we're, we're filling our house full of music, of Christmas carols. And, and we can smell pine and cinnamon and those things that tell us that Christmas is coming. We're experiencing tastes of, of Christmas even before it's arrived. Mom and dad start baking those cookies that you only eat during that season and and before too long maybe about the 20th presents start showing up under the tree, right? And you know it's a present for you and so you're holding it, and you're touching it, but you can't fully open it, right? I know you tried to, right? You try to get a glimpse, you cut it, you know, maybe no, don't do those sorts of things. Pastor Payne is not encouraging you to sin, okay? <laughs> don't do that but you want the fullness of it because you're experiencing just a little bit, right? You're experiencing just a little bit, but we know that you won't experience the fullness of Christmas until that morning. Until that morning when, when the table is set and the presents have been opened and we are thanking the Lord for sending his son. The already and the not yet is kind of like that. We have grace now, but we'll have grace in full. We have fellowship now, but we will have fellowship in full. That's what Peter is doing. He is pointing us to this day when distress and trial and exile will be no more. I mean, think about how comforting this promise would have been to his hearers. Those people who are experiencing exile, who are experiencing trial, to hear that their trial and their distress is not the end. Think about how comforting that is for us. Listen, I I know every single one of us walks into this place and we are bearing a burden. And we are experiencing a trial. And we we are feeling physically worn down and we are feeling emotionally and spiritually exhausted. I don't know all the trials that everyone is going through. And I don't know all the experiences that you are feeling, but... But I know that every one of us is bearing something as we walk into this place. And though I don't know them all, God does. You see, the Bible doesn't put before us Jesus' return as a way to ignore our trials, to skirt over our difficulties, to sweep them under the carpet. It puts before us Jesus' return to tell you that your trials are not the end. That your difficulties will not be the final say in your story. That Jesus will return and we will experience fellowship in full. That we will be at home with him. That there is a day coming when he will return and every man and woman and child will stand before his throne. And as his people we will enter into the glorious presence of our suffering Savior. We will enter into his glorious presence, and that trial and that difficulty will be no more. And his grace will come in full. Friends, that's what we're waiting for. That's what we are readying ourselves for. So as we wait, as we ready ourselves, let us not become dull in our minds. Let us not allow our trials to make our hearts hardened. Let us get up off the grass and take our gloves out of our mouths. And let us be ready because our Savior has won a salvation for us. Let us be ready by training our minds. Let us be ready for that future day when the hymn writer has written, Hope shall change to glad fruition. That day when... Faith will become sight that day when our trials will be no more and prayer will turn to praise. Let us be ready. Let us pray. Our God, our Father, we do ask that you would continue to put before us and remind us that there is a day coming when you, Lord Jesus, will consummate your kingdom. You will make your grace fully known to us. That we, we will walk in your presence and we will know you as our God and our King in ways that we we cannot even comprehend now. And so we long for that day. We long for that day and ask until it comes that you would remind us, that you would ready us, that you would help us to train our thoughts, to take every thought captive, and to fix our eyes in the grace that will be revealed at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Help us today and tomorrow and all of our days. We pray in Christ's name and God's people said, Amen.